Hey, everybody, and welcome to True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. I am Katie Weaver. I'm here with my sister and my partner in crime, Christy Brower. Hello. Hello. Oh, my goodness. Do you have day two hearing fatigue? Yes, I do. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I do. You too, huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So we're coming to you guys live, as promised, to report on day two of uh, Chad Daybell's preliminary hearing. Oh, this was happening in St. Anthony, Idaho at the Fremont County Courthouse. This was just a preliminary hearing for a judge to decide if the prosecution has enough evidence against Chad to turn it over to federal court and go to trial. And that's, we were in day two of it today. So we did report on it yesterday. And yesterday they made it through five witnesses the last of which being Melanie Gibb, that was kind of a bombshell, you know, and you guys may, if you listen to it, you know that there was um, a tape recording. She recorded a conversation between herself and Chad and Lori a few days after, well, a few days after she lied to the police about having JJ with her and then uh, got freaked out. And she'd said in other interviews that David Warwick, her boyfriend had really kind of, pushed her that direction, you know, that you need to yeah, protect yourself here, you know, just maybe Melanie, these people aren't your friends, you know, turns out. Yeah, no, yeah. no, they are not. Yeah. So she made this 20 minute recording of a phone call with them. Now we're going to do a whole show on that tomorrow and really break it down because it was quite the, uh, like gospel doctrine, um, scripture, you know, math. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah. So it, we'll, it was. Yeah. So we'll break that one all the way down. So we're not going to talk about that one so much today. But today we started with Melanie Gibb in the hot seat to be questioned by John Pryor, uh, the defense's uh, attorney. I figured last night Melanie was probably feeling pretty wigged out about having to face Pryor today because he was very unpleasant yesterday. Yes. And. He did not disappoint this morning. No, he did not. He uh, came out with both barrels right from the very beginning. Mm, he sure did. He hit hard and fast. Uh, he so, some interesting points from it. I mean, of course, he's trying to discredit Melanie by trying to confuse her on certain dates. You know, when she met Chad, when Chad met Lori, when they went to this event, when they went right. to that event. He tried really hard to nail her down and make her admit that she has some kind of auditory processing disorder. That was so strange. But uh, she I completely don't... denied. Yeah. He asked her repeatedly until the uh, the prosecution had had enough of it, you know, and objected because he was badgering the witness. And then he, you know, objected again because it was asked and answered because he just kept, have you been diagnosed with some kind of an auditory disorder? And yeah. She's like, No. But have you been? Anyway, it was so rude and nasty. But, uh, of course, she has not. He then tried to get her to elaborate a lot on how close exactly Lori and Alex were. It was misleading. It was really interesting because, you know, you and I have speculated before that we really wondered Mm -hmm. if if Alex and Lori were in some kind of an incestuous relationship. Because... It was a weird relationship. Yeah, I, I don't know that that's exactly where he was trying to lead her, but he pushed and pushed. But would you say they were extremely close? Mm-hmm. She's like, yeah, they were close, but extremely close. Okay, yeah. fine. Extremely close. He did a lot of testifying like he did yesterday. He did. He Just like yesterday, there were a lot of objections on both sides. Yes. But uh, he was really tough on Melanie. I felt very sorry for her. The way he spoke to her was pretty rough. It was, although I have to say I was super proud of her. She really held her own with him. And and he gave her a lot of shit for not remembering the dates of like a phone call that was six months ago. Um, It was, it's way too much information Mm -hmm. to remember. You're not allowed to look at your phone and go, I can tell you if I look at my phone, Mm -hmm. you know, just in her head, you know, the, the police and you know, the, the, the legal people that testified, they know they're going to be asked these kinds of questions so right. they have that stuff in their head, but yeah, it was, I wouldn't know either. You know, she couldn't even tell him for sure what month some things happened. Yeah. Well, I know that probably not, you know? Right. Yeah. 
it was pretty, pretty rough. And then he strangely uh, did ask her to uh, explain who King Noah is, who was an <laughs> evil leader from the Book of Mormon. I asked quite a few questions this about that. Super and funny. Yes, also wanted to know more about Alma. And I just wondered if we needed to just run right down to Temple Square and fill out one of those cards so the missionaries pay him a visit if he is so interested. He had a lot of questions. <laughs> Although he really needs to learn how to say Moroni because it it's not Moroni, okay? Right. The angel yeah. Moroni, who, you know. From the Book of Mormon, that's Mormon. Moroni. She, he he said, referred to him as Moroni. I laughed so hard. It sounded like macaroni the way he said it. Yeah, it did. <laughs> That one killed me. She sassed him pretty good at one point. He she wanted did. her to explain to her what the uh, relation, or sorry, he wanted him to explain exactly to her, or her wanted her good hell. Okay, I'm going to try and back up. Mm. He wanted <laughs> her to explain to him uh, how close she and Lori were. Uh, one of our listeners, Rebecca, thanks for pointing that out, that I'm uh, he kept trying to make her say that they were close, as, uh, that they were like sisters, as close as sisters. And she was like, well, no. And he's like, well, yeah, you were right. You were like sisters. And she's like, well, I didn't really know her that long. Yeah. He, again, putting a lot of words in her mouth. Trying. That was, oh, when she sassed him. That's right. I got myself mm -hmm. on track. Oh, yes. He was trying to make her explain what the uh, religious or spiritual significance was of an event that she had gone to. And she didn't really understand what he was asking. No one did. Finally, it was uh, the prosecutor objected to that stupid question. But mm -hmm. uh, at any rate, she finally looked at him and she said, well, sir, your client spoke at that event. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought it was too funny. And he, yeah. uh, he said, that's not what I was asking you, ma'am. He called her ma'am repeatedly. It was very yeah. Wait, he gets mad quickly. And get okay. really intense and red in the face fast. Mm -hmm. he, you know, we, we know that he's got a bit of a record for violence. And you can kind of see it. Yeah. In because well, if, yeah. he, if he feels he's been disrespected. Yeah. yeah. You, that red face stuff is pretty interesting. Yeah. The very last uh, thing I think of interest. And then, Christy, if there's anything you thought was interesting, I'll, I'll throw it out there to you. But um, he was trying to make her say that Chad's books are fiction. Yes. And she did admit that. And I'm like, Melanie, what the hell are you talking about? No, they're not. Some of them are. Some but if you've been to Amazon and looked at the list of books that Chad has written, yeah. they're not all fiction. And some of them are more like autobiographical and things. And so mm -hmm. that kind of bothered me because he's going to come back with that and be like, well, I mean, these people took it upon themselves to just follow somebody's works that were straight up fiction. That's not yeah. really true. So now... Mm -hmm. In my very own, you know, completely unprofessional opinion here, uh, <laughs> when we actually get to trial, if this ever goes to trial, which I still don't think it will, but I'll tell you why later. But uh, the uh, at that point, then the prosecutor is going to have to get a librarian, librarian up in there to explain to the court what the difference is between fiction and nonfiction. And oh, why some of those books most certainly are nonfiction. Well, one of the things that I she said is... I don't think so either. She also said, I haven't read all of Chad's books. And so he kept pushing right. her and pushing her. And then there was a, there was an objection from the prosecutor about this because he said, asked and answered because she said mm -hmm. repeatedly, I haven't read all of his books. I, I don't know. Yeah. He finally made her say it. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yes, fine. His books are fiction. Whatever. Not true. Yeah. But no, that's okay. Easily proved. And we'll just get a librarian up in this bitch. Okay. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. Anyway, yeah. so that pretty much was Melanie Gibb. Did I miss anything? The only other thing was that he pressured her pretty heavily, Pryor did, about whether or not she had been coached by the prosecutor, yeah. by the police, if anybody had told her what to say, mm -hmm. had told her what to wear at one point, which was a strange question. It was uh, yucky. The way he was, said it was it yucky. Was creepy. Yeah. You what things to put on yourself. Yes. Yeah. Was, yeah. The way he said, he said it was creepy. But yeah, he pushed really hard to get something out of her that would indicate mm -hmm. that she had been coached about what to say and boy she really held her own and she yeah. said absolutely not and and he said well didn't you meet with the prosecutor before this hearing and she said yes and he said well you know did he tell you what to say and she said he asked me questions and I answered them she yeah. did great she really she stood up she nicely. did a super super good job yeah agreed yeah and he was just being he was being cruel you know 
he was, he just, was. He was and he cool. was just grasping he's the whole time he's grasping at yeah. anything because he's mm -hmm. got nothing okay they've got nothing right. and the more you hear all these people talk the the less mm -hmm. they have as far as an actual defense here now he did make her admit so you then you did lie to the police and she yes. was like yeah i did and he's like so you lied to the police and she's like i lied to the police yeah. Well, did they offer you some kind of a deal to be here? Oh, yeah. And that was one thing that a lot of people have speculated about. And she said, absolutely not. No. He asked that repeatedly. Yeah. Right. She she lied to the police, but she she did not actually commit any crime. She was not mm -hmm. involved here other than she knew, you know, she didn't really know what was happening at the time and has, you know, cooperated heavily since. So, mm -hmm. yeah, but also, yeah, he really pushed that. JJ had been dead for two months. Yeah. The, you know. It, it but, would have done zero good. Yeah, he tried. Boy, did he try. Oh, he okay. Did. So the next witness was David Warwick, oh, who I wasn't David. sure we expected we were going to see. Yeah. So David Warwick is this really cute little old guy that uh, is a contractor in Utah mm -hmm. who had no freaking idea what to do on that stand. No. He was a darling, and I felt so sorry for him because <laughs> also he he's no death. <laughs> Own death. He couldn't hear a damn thing. No. And they finally fitted him with a hearing device. And he said it wasn't better, but it had to have been because suddenly he was answering the questions without he like was, although it, it sort of made a horrible sound a couple of times and there was feedback with the mics and stuff. But yeah, at the beginning, yeah. he couldn't hear a damn thing. No, he really could not hear. He couldn't hear a thing the prosecutor was trying to ask him. Yeah. So, um, you know, and again with David, like he, it was pretty brief with him, but again, they were asking you know, about that, because the only time he met Chad, or well, the only time he met Lori, he knew Chad and Lori, sorry. Mm -hmm. He'd met them both in Arizona, but you know, he was there in Idaho the weekend that JJ disappeared. Yeah. And so there were some questions. He said he tried to play with JJ mm -hmm. and you can see he's like a cute little, he's kind of a grandpa or a dad, you know? Yeah. And he said he tried to play with JJ and it was as if no one was even speaking to him, mm -hmm. that he just didn't pay any attention at all to David. He couldn't even get his attention. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the prosecutor said, well, are you aware that he has autism or had autism? And he was like, oh, I know, you know, mm -hmm. but he was cute. Like he was really concerned about JJ. He, he was. He asked about him more than once. And, mm -hmm. you know, during the weekend had concerns. Yeah. Yeah, he did. And so, you know, that uh, and then the other thing uh, in his testimony, of course, the lawyer or sorry, the, the I don't want to say the lawyer, the defense <laughs> Pryor, I don't know what to call him. I'm going to call him Pryor. That's his freaking name. Okay. Yeah. So Pryor wanted to know, pushed him really hard if he has any idea if his girlfriend, Melanie Gibb, has some kind of an auditory disorder. Nailed yeah. him down. And he's like, yeah. I don't know. And the or the prosecutor's like, uh, no. Yeah. That's you know, definitely it, not a question he could answer. No. And he pressed and pressed him. And he's like, I have no idea. Not to my knowledge. I don't know. Mm hmm. He went on and on with that. Well, he went on and on with him because there was the whole we forgot about with um, mm -hmm. Melanie, the whole were mm -hmm. you and Tylee, you know, what was your relationship to Tylee? Did mm -hmm. you and Tylee get along? Yeah. Which, no, they didn't. Mm -hmm. And then he pushed again about that with uh -huh. um, with Warwick. Yes. Pushed and pushed. Yeah, that, that's the, true. That's and really goal of that was I have no yeah. idea. He tried that, really hard to get it. Melanie to say that she and Tylee didn't like each other. And she's yeah. like, I really didn't know Tylee. Well, but you guys didn't get along. And she's like, I wouldn't say that. Well, had you ever, you know, and she's like, I, I hardly saw Tylee. I don't know her. I wouldn't say we didn't get along. Yeah. And then he nailed Warwick down on it hard. And he's like, I don't know. And again, the prosecutor's like, what the hell is this line of questioning about? You know, right. It, it never went anywhere that seemed to make any sense. At one point, the uh, defense said, I'm getting to that. And then he never did. It just mm -hmm. it didn't make any sense. And honestly, what the hell would it have mattered? Tylee was yeah. 16. OK, yeah. 16 year olds. Y'all know them. Mm -hmm. They're they can be the meanest humans on the planet yeah. and they don't like their mom's friends and they don't well yeah. like anybody. Maybe. Well, and, and it's heard that Tylee had had an assful of all of Lori's BS yes. and wasn't having it, it's yeah. very likely that Tylee didn't like any of Lori's, you know, spiritual right. friends. 
Right. Because so what? Yeah, she was tired of all this crap. Yeah. But it was really strange because that never went anywhere. It was just a lot of pressure and nastiness that mm-hmm. didn't result in any kind of direction. Yeah. It was odd. It was certainly odd. Well, you so. know, one of the things in a preliminary hearing that is important to know is that when the prosecutor asks their questions, when the defense attorney has the chance then to ask questions, they can only ask questions within the scope of what has already been answered from the prosecutor's questions. They cannot yes. go outside of that. This is not a trial. This right. is a preliminary hearing. And so um, that was one thing that Pryor did over and over and over. He did it mm-hmm. yesterday. He did it a whole bunch today. He kept trying to go outside the scope of the questions that Wood had ans- had asked. And, and that answer. was objected over and over again that he was outside the scope. and. Yeah. Um, I think that's just important to know about a preliminary mm-hmm. hearing is that the yep. the defense attorney really has a very short leash in yes. that hearing. Well, and the prosecution is only displaying just enough evidence to move on to the next step. Yeah. They are not showing all of their cards by mm-hmm. any stretch. And yeah, and he did. He pushed and pushed and pushed for more information, more information. Yeah, he, well, and and what uh, Prosecutor Wood said many times is that he's seeking uh, facts, not in evidence. He's re- uh-huh. referencing facts, not in evidence. Mm-hmm. He's pushing for information about a person who has not testified here, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. There was a lot of that. And I'm sure there is in, in all trials, defense attorneys oh, yeah. everything they can yeah. in this hearing. But that came out mm-hmm. over and over again, that he just kept pushing beyond the scope of what Wood had asked. Yeah, totally. Yep. He was just going to take as much as the judge would possibly allow him to have. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So then finally, our sweet little David Warwick got to get off the stand. He probably went outside and cried. I would have. I know. Poor guy, man. That was awful. Rough. Yeah. Awful. Well, well, one interesting thing, actually, back to him, is that the uh, the prosecu- or the uh, defense said, asked him about Chad being an author, and he, you know, acknowledged that Chad was an author. And then he said, and you, you write books, too. And he said, no, no, I don't. Right, because you, he not an Melanie about it about mm-hmm. him being an author, and she said no. He was sure mm-hmm. that David Warwick was also also an author. Uh-huh. And then he's looking at Chad, you know, and yeah, that one was, you know. And I kind of wish that David Warwick would have said, "Would it surprise you to know that I am not an author?" <laughs> <laughs> he's a contractor. He's not an author. <laughs> well, because how many times did we hear that phrase today? Uh, so many, and it was out of the prosecutor, out of the defense. Yeah, yeah, and I, I don't know where he was trying to go with that, other than I, I think you're right about you know the difference between fiction and nonfiction, and if he was mm-hmm. implying, you know, that people took Chad's books out of um, mm-hmm. context, but you know, I, I'm a hundred percent sure that the first person that took Chad's books out of context was Chad. So right, this we'll is what there. my sister-in-law Rhonda calls falling for your own hype, and Chad. Uh-huh. Yep. really did that but uh, <laughs> hard 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 yeah real hard but that one it the, the, that phrase and also i think i have the right to or i am perfectly uh you know okay to those were phrases that came out of the yeah. the defense oh my lord so many times or to be yes to be perfectly honest oh yes to be perfectly honest <laughs> yeah. he is a drinking game all in himself yes yes he is he says the same the same phrases over and over again yeah the so other Okay. The other thing just about David Warwick that was interesting is that, um, and I think this was just an, an attempt to discredit him, but uh, the the defense attorney did try to use his hearing problem against him yes, and wanted to know if maybe when he was there hanging out with uh, Melanie and Chad and Lori, if it was possible that he didn't understand everything that he heard because he doesn't seem to hear very well. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that the reason that he didn't hear very well is because he was in that plexiglass booth you know no one was hearing very well in there Mm -hmm. in this courtroom with i don't know a defense attorney who absolutely friggin refuses to sit up to the mic how many times a jackass very beginning today the judge says to him in the playback from yesterday the only person that we can't hear very well mr Pryor, is you i'm going to ask you to sit up closer to your mic and turn it twist it this direction it's a bendy thing yeah. And he can't figure out how to do it. Chad has to do it for him. Oh, my gosh. So Chad that finally reaches over. over and bends it up for him. But throughout the entire day, over and over and over, yeah. Mr. Pryor, please get closer to the mic. And he does it for like 30 seconds. And then he slouches in his chair. Well, and he, he kept doing it with about. David Warwick. And poor David's yeah. just desperately trying to read his lips, you know. Yeah. And, and he's sitting way back from his microphone over and over again. Yeah. The other thing he kept doing is he kept talking over the witness. 
Mm-hmm. And the judge really got on him over and over about that because he said, we can't understand what the witness is saying if you keep speaking mm-hmm. over them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he, and he's the got script problems. had enough of it as well. Yeah. 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 Oh, good point. Somebody in the chat. See, you guys are so good. I'm so glad mm-hmm. we do these lives so you chatters can help us remember some stuff. Yeah. There was a moment when Melanie was on the stand that suddenly the defense says, is there a reason why you just looked at Mr. Wood? And she's like, huh? Is there a reason why you just looked at Mr. Wood? And she's like, I was looking around. And he's like, you weren't looking at Mr. Wood? She's like, no. What the hell? Well, just trying to imply that Wood is coaching her and that she's taking cues from Wood. But, you know, Mm -hmm. the the reality is you could see very clearly from um, Melanie that it was really difficult for her to look in the direction of Chad. He, yeah. She had the problem yesterday. She mm-hmm. had it again today. So she did sort of gaze off in moments. She oh, was yeah. just trying to get a break from looking at his friggin' toady face. You know, <laughs> he was sitting there with his roasting toad face all day oh, again. No. You know, this, <laughs> resting this toad thing. Face. That's my new, that's my new thing. He has resting toad face because he looks like this all the time. Uh, all the time. Resting yeah. toad face. He does. I love it. It's I either that it. or some sick smirk that makes me want to punch him in the nuts. Mm-hmm. Really. She had a little... Ugh better time today yesterday she had a horrible time looking at chat she did it was definitely a little bit better today well after the video played i mean or the 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 phone call from yesterday played i mean the cat's out of the bag now yeah totally totally resting toad face i love it that's going Mm -hmm. down in i'm coining it i call it you know our our poor kids Mm -hmm. we're gonna use this on them until they hate us Uh, (laughs) probably probably yeah, but that's a really good point. That was an interesting one for sure. She was like testy. She got a little testy and sassy. But good. She was sick of it. You know, I was glad because I think mm-hmm. that's really the only way to deal with that fool, you know? Yeah. Yes, for sure. So moving along to the first uh, officer we saw today. So the next witness was uh, Jared Wilmore from the Madison County Sheriff's Office. Yeah. Uh, he looks so familiar to me as an aside. Christy, do we know him? We do, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's what I thought. He looked so familiar to me. Okay, so, and he's worked for Madison County Sheriff's Office for 17 years. He's yeah. the lieutenant that's in charge of the jail. Yeah. So he brought us quite the present this morning at court. You this know. was a lovely gift. What he brought was a phone call between Chad and Lori the morning that they were uh, searching the house, the day they found the kids. Yeah. He called Lori from his car while he was sitting there watching them dig. And we got to hear you know it. what he didn't call her. She called him. You well, can he, hear it in the in the stuff. He says, I'm glad you called. Oh, I think I that think. he had called her and she hadn't answered. There was something about somebody had called and someone hasn't answered and someone called back. Yeah. So, so yeah. she that call was was instigated by her. Okay. I know only because I spent. Oh, that's right forever trying to clean this audio up so you guys can understand it and you're probably still not going to be able to because it's the audio is awful we're going to play it this is the first time we've used this piece of our tech so we're hoping it's not horrible it is horrible but that's not our fault Mm -hmm. yeah it's horrible we're going to review the transcript afterward though so don't worry we'll know what it says but we're going to go ahead and play it for you so that you can at least uh get a sense of what this sounded like Uh, you'll hear you'll hear Lori. Mm-hmm. Better so, than two. all right. So I'm going to set this up. We are. <laughs> By the way, our listeners think my chat impression is on point. So thank you for that. Totally agree. Totally agree. Okay. So now I'm going to hit play on the audio. And then once it's over, we'll stop it and we'll give you the uh, transcription. So don't worry if you can't understand this, but you know, perhaps try. Okay. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Are you okay? A house Yeah. 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 Are they saving stuff again? There's something. There's something to go. 
Okay. Chad so, sort of also sounds like a toad on there. He really does. I, I know. I think he was really on speakerphone, and then she had a ton of background noise, and I took out all the background. I spent an hour cleaning that up. That's actually significantly better than what we heard from the courtroom today, yeah, if you can imagine. Believe it or not. So I'm going to read you a transcript of it. Uh, this is not a full transcript. This is just a synopsis of it. Um, you know, he calls her and she says, are you okay? And he says, uh, they're searching the property. And she says, they're at the house now. And he says, yes. And then he says, Mark Means will be talking to you. Means is her attorney. And then he says something that kind of sounds like I tried to call him, but, or something. But it sounds mm -hmm. like he tried to be in contact with Means. Um, she wants to know if they're seizing things inside the house. Mm -hmm. And he says, no, they're out on the property. Uh, Remember that they know they're being recorded. The part we didn't share because it's horrendously loud is mm -hmm. the tellmate stuff that reminds them that they are being recorded. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, yes. And so then he says something about that they have issued, a, they have handed him a search warrant. And then he sees something like, we'll see what transpires. Lori asks him, uh, she says, what do you want me to do? Should I pray? And he says, uh, I don't know. And then she asks him uh, how, if, you know, what she can do for him. And he says, I'm feeling pretty calm. I would call Mark, though, and talk with him. So, again, you know. Like, Mark knows what's happening. I can't tell you. Uh-huh. But, yeah. Call him and he can tell you. And she says something like, does he know what they're doing? And he says, yes. Yeah. And then she says, uh, you know, then, of course, he says, I love you so much. And she says, uh, should I try to call you later? And he says, I don't know. And then he kind of sits with that for a minute. He says, um, I guess you can try. And so then he says, I love you and we'll talk soon. She says, I love you, baby. Sorry. Ew. And, yeah. the, and that's it. So I know that was hard to understand, but we thought maybe it would be useful to mm -hmm. at least give you a chance to hear that conversation. Well, and just sort of the code speak. They're here, they're searching, they're on the property. She knows exactly what that means. Yeah. Um, should I try to call you later? I don't know. Uh, probably means I'm going to be in jail. You know, mm -hmm. I like, like they're speaking in code. They know. And I, they've been speaking on the tailmate system for quite a while before this. Mm -hmm. I think they probably yeah. have a pretty good code worked out that they can talk about what 
seems to be very insignificant thing. But the the way that they say it, they are sharing information. So I have no doubt she knew exactly what they were doing when he said they're out on the property. They're yeah. looking for bodies and, and she knew it. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So that's what happened. Now, um, we had heard that from inside the jail the rest of that morning that she paced around the windows um, and then later that day went back in her cell, which was something she was, didn't typically do. Um, went back in her cell and laid in her bed and cried and read the scriptures for the rest of the day, refused her dinner, refused to come out of her cell the next morning. That's kind of how things went down for her for a few days. And then she brightened back up and started acting like her cheery old self. Interesting. Yeah. Strangely, because this was the last conversation that they've had. They, yeah. you know, are now co-conspirators. They're both in jail. They're not allowed to speak to each other. No. And then they both were supposed to appear last week for the zoom conference uh, for the conversation about filming the preliminaries uh, mm. and she didn't come. No, that was a little telling. I think mm-hmm. well, we'll see. Very interesting. So that was basically Wilmore. There wasn't really anything more that was all that interesting. No, about. He just, he just brought the recording. Yeah. 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 So, but that was, you know, it was pretty quick, but, um, you know, we all felt like we had been given quite the gift. <laughs> well, you know, it, it does help. It, it puts in perspective. Every time I get to hear them speaking, it puts them more and more into perspective for me. Yeah. You know, that really cheery, love you, baby kind of crap, you know, yeah. like, Jesus Christ, lady, they're about to dig up your dead kids. Yeah. Really? You yeah. know, love you, baby. Yep. Yeah. All right. So then next to the stand, we start bringing in the FBI. Yeah. So this is Wilmore. No, that, no, sorry. Daniels. It's not Wilmore. This is Daniels. Yep. So this is uh, Daniels that comes to the stand. And this is the guy who basically was in charge of gridding out the property and deciding where to dig when they issued yeah. the search warrant. Yeah. He leads the evidence response team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he talked a lot. It, this was pretty tough to listen to, you know, it was, it was pretty gory. He talked a lot about the, uh, you know, what they found and how they found it and mm-hmm. some of the things that they saw and the things that they smelled. And, you know, it was as awful as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. And then of course he talked about also finding JJ. So the first was digging and finding the remains of Tylee and, mm-hmm. And then they talked about finding JJ. He did say they had an anthropologist on the scene to help determine the difference between animal and human bones. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, they were calling the area they were digging in uh, the pet cemetery, basically, mm-hmm. because that's what Tammy called it in a text to Chad or, or what Chad called it in the text to Tammy. In a text to Tammy. Yeah. And so. Anyway, that, that's what they called it. He said they brought in a backhoe and excavated a 10 by 10 area, dug two feet down, found a bone sticking out of the ground that was determined to be maybe human. So they stopped with the excavator and moved to hand tools so that, of course, they didn't damage the evidence. And, you know, essentially that's what's happening. They did find two vertebrae while they were digging. They didn't know. The anthropologist wasn't sure if they were human or animal. So they completely stopped. But then they, um, as they were doing that, they had uncovered some flesh that Daniels uh, said by the smell of decomp knew that was to be human. Yeah. Sorry, that oh. turns my stomach to even say it. But it was horrifying the way that he described it. Yeah. Yeah. Then, of course, they dug the first, you know, the second day as well. And basically that, that's, that was kind of, you know, the how they determined. And then, of course, they did grid off the entire property. They had, did he say six? Uh, dogs, six cadaver dogs that they had, you know, searched the entire five, searched the entire property. Now, uh, of course, he was also at the Daybell home in January when the FBI helped search the home and seized a bunch of electronics and things like that inside the home. So they go to lunch and come back and here comes Pryor. And wow, this Mm. got pretty interesting. Pryor was absolutely determined that that 10 by 10 area that he had uh, marked off was not 10 by 10. And was actually 15. <laughs> and <laughs> definitely this really mattered. <laughs> yeah. 
definitely, uh, you know, had to be. He kept saying, would it surprise you to know that that wasn't a 10 by 10? And he had said approximately 10 by 10. Right. And basically, Pryor was going by what he saw from aerial photos. Yeah. And his own opinion that this was 15 by 15, not 10 by 10. So surely, sir, you are wrong. Again, so pointless, you know. It was these weird attempts to discredit him that didn't make any sense and just made yeah. him look like an idiot. Mm-hmm. Like the, the FBI agent was like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Would it sure. surprise you to know? I, would it? He yeah. said. He said no. He said, would it surprise you to know that's actually 15 feet? And he said, no. <laughs> like just totally took the wind out of his sails. Like it was just it so doesn't strange. Matter, bro. You're gonna get the whole case thrown out because somebody said approximately ten by ten, and it turned out to be fifteen by fifteen through yeah. your guesstimations from looking at an aerial photo. Yeah, it was just. It was yeah. so bizarre. It was, and but the FBI agent got a little. He was a little irritated by the time mm-hmm. he was done with Daniels. Daniels was. He was uh, he'd had enough. Yeah. Uh huh. It was pretty wild. So, anyway, moving on from Daniels, then we bring in uh, Joe Powell. So, Joe Powell is a Fremont County lieutenant. They asked him a very few questions about handling evidence, and then Powell was dismissed. There was really not much there. From it was just moving chain of evidence that the FBI, after they collected the evidence, they gave it to him. And he and another officer transported it to the police station. <laughs> like, yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, and then they called Fremont County Detective Bruce Mattingly. And he was very brief as well. He was also talking about processing evidence and log sheets. Mm-hmm. And he drove the electronic evidence from Daybell's home to the FBI office in Salt Lake City and turned it over to them. Yeah. I mean, it's just chain of command or, you know, yeah. chain of uh, evidence. Chain of evidence, yeah. You know, one thing that happened yesterday that... Uh, kind of stuck in me a little mm-hmm. bit. I'm going to actually be honest. I got in a little bit of trouble with my husband that we did not talk about this because it was one of the oh. things that annoyed him the most. So I promised him I'd bring it up today. Oh, They okay. had referenced a, a deputy from Fremont County by the name of Kaya Kamanu. Oh, yes. And he was, and the, the defense was like, what? Kaya Kamanu. Can it's actually speak? quite a common name in Rexburg. It is. And he said, can you spell that? And the person on the stand was like, uh, I could guess. And the court reporter was like, I can. And she rattled it right off to him. Um, there's a couple of Kaya Kamanus who work at for the Fremont County Sheriff's Office. And that's a fairly common name we went mm-hmm. to high school with. And I'm still friends with, you know, some of the Kaya Kamanu family. Right. But Pryor said, I'm just going to call him detect- or, or Deputy K. Like he couldn't be bothered to know that person's name or pronounce it. Well, he was it, just, had, it was being said to him. Like he didn't even have to try to pronounce it from reading it. It was being no. said to him. He could have just said it. It was dummy. said to him repeatedly. <laughs> it was just really rude. You know, I know I just keep hammering on him. And honestly, all of the shit he's done in the last two days is him doing his job. And we it want is. him to do his job because we don't want Chad or Lori to get to come back and say that they had incompetent uh no, you know, a representation. We do not want that. So we want Pryor to do his job, but damn a llama. But he's he a dick. Hard to you know, you know um, hey. one of our uh, one of our uh, chatters has said that um, they wish that uh, Daniels could have said we found what we were looking for. Yeah, and I I wish that too because they knew what they were looking for. You know, I, yeah. this was one thing I forgot to bring up um, about Daniels was the clandestine grave. He kept referring to the clandestine grave and how they were looking mm-hmm. for the clandestine grave because mm-hmm. they had aerial footage of the property that showed very clearly a patch of ground that looked like a grave. And a clandestine mm-hmm. grave just means that a grave that is meant to um, conceal a, a, a human body. Right. And uh, Pryor was really offended at the use of that word uh-huh. and, and objected and tried to get him to tell him that he couldn't use that word. And the judge yeah. said, I'm, I'm not going to do that. He's fine. Yeah. That, that's what they call it. This It sounded to mm-hmm. me like it was terminology that the FBI yeah. uses for when you can clearly see that a grave has been dug. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that yeah, he didn't like that. that. He didn't clandestine. What else yeah. would you call the grave of a seven-year-old child? Right. You know, not in a 
not in a graveyard. You in know, some psychopath's backyard. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It just was weird. The other thing that I found upsetting just on behalf of Daniels was when he talked about how they found Tylee's remains and in what terrible condition they were in and that they were in the pet cemetery. Uh-huh. He said something about she was buried with the animals. Yeah. yeah. And you could tell that in his, to him personally, that had some major meaning. And he Absolutely. did talk about what terrible shape those remains were in, that it took him a while to get them out and to f- figure out what they even had. Yeah. yeah. And, and a lot of work to make sure that they got all the bones because they didn't want to leave anything behind. Right. Yesterday so they said they found a partial skull. Yeah. Yes. And jawbone. He's today. He said jawbone as well. well. The first bone they found of significance was the pelvic bone, actually. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, the other thing I, in his testimony, see, we keep going and then we remember important things. It's I know. Okay. It's fine. It's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> There's no rules here. Uh, <laughs> the uh, the raccoon story, you know, because, you know, Chad and the freaking raccoon. He right. Texted Tammy the Never morning that Tylee was buried or allegedly buried or whatever, and said that he had shot a large raccoon and buried it in the pet cemetery. Well, they did not recover a raccoon. They sure and didn't. The defense hammered and hammered and hammered trying to get somebody, anybody, to admit that they had found a raccoon there or that they hadn't done an efficient job searching. Yeah. You know, and he's like, we gritted the entire thing out. We had dogs that went through all of it. We got everything out that, yeah. you know, if any, you know, they worked we for find two at days. All. Yeah, they looked for two days, but he was just determined, man, that there was a raccoon there. There was not. There was not. It was, a dog was a just a cover. It was exactly what it looked like. It was. It was yep. just a cover. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the boy, that, that gets... That eats Pryor's lunch several times because it does when they start, he starts talking to the FBI too, the other FBI yeah. uh, mm-hmm. analysts. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Very sobering, sickening, you know, hearing about Tylee's remains was, I mean, JJ's was really hard too, but there was nothing worse really than hearing about Tylee's remains. Yeah. The, the, the lengths they went to destroy her body are just, sickening and shocking really yeah yeah absolutely it's very hard to hear i can't imagine how her family heals you know yeah. we saw woodcocks a lot and their responses to things but you know there wasn't really anyone representing tiley there uh at least this time in person yeah and, which is fine but i uh, you know i can only imagine what hearing that kind of stuff you know for her brother and her aunt they, that yeah. just has got to be awful yeah entirely entirely yeah <laughs> one of our listeners says let chad find it no kidding let's get him out there with a shovel yeah come on chad if it's there yeah where's your freaking raccoon we all know you didn't shoot and it's been close to 100 here so let's do it now yeah now seems like a great time <laughs> yeah. Ugh. yeah so moving on to another fbi agent this was gary lou mm-hmm. gary lou and gary is a tech guy mm-hmm. And so his job was to dig into the, some of the tech stuff, particularly uh, he was talking about Tammy's cell phone mm-hmm. and he, and the whole chain of how this works. So he had the phone, he was unable to unlock it, which means then he has to send it off to another FBI uh, facility to unlock it. And then it's sent back to him and then he runs it through a program that, uh, you know, in order to convert the data from the phone so that they can see everything that was on the phone. Yeah. And this is where we learned about the texts between Chad and Tammy the day that Tylee was buried. Mm-hmm. And that was basically everything from him. Mm-hmm. You know, a couple of it's things. Sort of the, the chain of evidence about how they make sure that nothing's been tampered with and the stuff on the phone is yeah legitimately, you know, preserved. Yeah. Because yet again, you know, this the, the point of this hearing is to make sure that all of the evidence is okay and correct and can be taken to trial and so forth. Yeah. So that's basically what it was. Uh, the defense only had one question for him. He wanted to know uh, what program they used to run the data. And that was it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I mean, that was pretty much it. For Lou him. was awesome, man. He knew all of his dates and times and he had, yeah. 
really he smart was guy. On top of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then we move on. We move on to Benjamin Dean. Benjamin Dean is another FBI agent. Mm-hmm. And he was questioned by uh, Rammel, by the assistant district attorney Rammel. He was actually a little more prevalent today, Rammel was. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I thought he also did a super good job. He did. Yeah, yeah I thought so, I too. I really like Wood. I do. I he he held that. he held prior down several times, which I thought was cool. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So this is Benjamin Dean. Benjamin Dean's been in the FBI for six years. He's an intelligent analyst, intelligence analyst, probably mm-hmm. intelligent, too. I'll give him that. I, I seemed much, very much yeah. so, yeah. His main job is to analyze information and make assessments about specific threats. And so they, he was the one who put out the big call for everybody who had been in Yellowstone to send in their pictures and their videos so that they could see if they could find anything, you know, on camera that would help figure out where in the world Tylee and JJ had gone, right? Yeah. Particularly yeah. Tylee because JJ had been seen after that weekend, but of course Tylee had not. And they received hundreds of pictures and videos to sort through. So that was his job. Uh, You know, he worked on that. uh, He also worked on Tammy Daybell's phone. It sounds like he was a part of that. Mm -hmm. But at any rate, this was uh, his job. Also, I believe to uh, sort through uh, Lori's cloud, her iCloud account, where Mm -hmm. some of the pictures came from. Well, so, and Tammy's like incoming and outgoing messages and phone calls and stuff uh-huh. yeah, on her so, phone. Yeah. So he was a part of that. So, and he was great. He was, he was great. awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, Prior tried to nail him several times with the dumbest questions. Yeah. Um, and he actually had brought a report that he had permission to refer to because it was so much information mm-hmm. to keep track of. But Prior yeah. wanted stuff like, from what date to what date were you looking at this data? And I don't know, just yeah. trying to trying again to discredit him. It didn't work, but mm-hmm. he tried. Interestingly, one of the things he said, because Pryor wanted to know why that particular text message from Chad could have possibly been something that got their attention, you know, because that text message was one of the main things that got them to the property, got the search warrant. Right. Between that and the pings on Alex's phone, and we think a, a, a contact from a neighbor, but we're not totally sure on that. Uh, but, you know, there were a few things that they put together to get that search warrant. So he was trying to, you know, I don't know what, but ferret out why in the world they would think that text was all that remarkable. Mm-hmm. And he said that was by far the longest thing that Chad has said to Tammy in all of the text messages that he sent. Yeah. He said it's always something very brief, like just got home or see you later or, you know, can you pick up dog food or something, you know, pretty benign. He said, but no real conversation except for this text. It was yeah. literally the only one. It really to stood go into out. All of this detail. Yes, behaviorally to go into all of this detail about what he did this morning and what he was up to. Yeah. Like that was way out of character. And it was one of the things that got their attention. Which I just think is pretty fascinating because obviously Chad sent that text to try to cover his ass because he was feeling guilty. Mm-hmm. And so he sent that text in case she had a question. She was at work. She probably wouldn't have, mm-hmm. but he did. I mean, this was his decision because he was feeling guilty about his behavior. Yeah. And it's one of the things that busted him, which yeah. I just think is pretty interesting. I know. I, I thought so too, but I they're very trained to use our activity and technology to understand our behavior. That is a huge thing the FBI does. Yep. And yep. Pryor did not appreciate that. I don't know. No, he did not. So that was it. Dean yep. was the last one. So Wood had no further witnesses. Pryor had no witnesses. And so they went into closing arguments, you know, and basically Wood said, based on the state of the bodies, the fact that they were on Chad's property, the pa- fact that they know that they were victims of a homicide, you know, they feel like then the way they were concealed, they feel like that is that they have, you know, shown that they have enough evidence to prove that those things are true and that mm-hmm. you know, this should move into federal court and into a trial. Yeah. And 
Well, and so mm-hmm. he, he said a couple of interesting things. So one mm-hmm. of the things that he pointed out is that in Idaho, to prove a conspiracy, you don't have to have a verbal agreement, but it is more about the behavior of people acting in concert. Mm-hmm. And so he wanted to be clear about that. The other thing that he pointed out is that Chad and Lori are married. And at the time that they were lying about where the kids were and doing that whole thing with Melanie Gibb, they were in fact married mm-hmm. and that Alex was his brother-in-law. And he was very much yeah. implying that the family familial connection there fed the conspiracy. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. So, you know, Pryor comes back and says uh, the state has definitely not provided probable cause. They have absolutely not come even close on conspiracy. This whole thing should be thrown out right now. Well, and what he said should be dismissed. He didn't say that the the evidence destruction charges should be thrown out. It was the conspiracy charges. Mm -hmm. He said that they had in no way met their burden to prove conspiracy. Mm -hmm. Yep. They have not come even close. Yeah. So the judge said, let's take a recess. He came back 10 minutes later, said he's ready to rule. And the judge, of course, came back and said that he does believe that Wood had met the burden of proof of probable cause. He says there is definitely, uh, in his mind, enough evidence to move forward. And he has now remanded this case over to federal court. So that means that there is a new judge. So the judge... Uh, they'll see him for arraignment on the 21st of August. Yeah. And the judge's name is Stephen Boyce. He was a former judge in Bonneville County, which is an, another neighboring county here in Idaho. Mm-hmm. That's where I and, am. Yep. Yeah, and then, uh, of course, was uh, bumped up to a district judge in uh, Circuit 7, or in District 7, a federal judge in District Circuit 7. Good God. 7. In, in the Seventh Circuit. Thank you. <laughs> It's it's one of those. I knew I was close. Anyway, so that's where arraignment will happen. Uh, The only thing that uh, other thing that they covered was that if either parties want to apply for a change of venue for trial, they are required to do that within 60 days of today. Expect it. It's going to happen. Oh, it is. There's no way to happen here. No. Yeah. Jury selection will be an absolute nightmare. In this yeah. area. Yeah. The, the question will be, will Chad or Lori be moved to a different jail or will they stay here and be transported to stand trial and transported back? That'll be the big question. We'll see. It'll depend on where they go, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, either way, the prosecutor remains the same, of course. Uh, you know, his, his case remains his case. Yeah. And that won't change. But the venue, I am absolutely certain, will change. Mm-hmm. I, I would imagine we see that filed within days. I would think, although, you know, we've got Lori's hearing next week, preliminary hearing. Mm-hmm. Although, yep. I mean, what do you think? Do you think that they'll waive it? I mean, it's all the same evidence. It's the same judge. It's the same prosecutor. Right. Do you think Means is arrogant enough to think that he can make some headway where prior didn't? My rational mind says, no, that they're going to, with all of this evidence and with the outcome that they're going to waive you know, however, but that they'll waive their right for the preliminary. But Means is an attention whore. Oh, so bad. He's extremely arrogant. And I really think he's trying to stand on, use this case to stand on the shoulders of this case to get a bunch of notoriety. You know, it seems like Means would like to be the next Kardashian or something, you know? (laughs) And so on that note, I go, I think Means is itching to come up here. I also feel like while this was carrying on, he's watching it, you know, and just scribbling out, you know, filling up journals of notes and going, well, I would have said filling this. up journals. I could just see it. He's just stacking <laughs> them up and they're getting higher and higher. And he's just, Pen's just, just as and go. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I thought. But uh, <laughs> he, uh, I know we're so rude, but you know, we get to be. <laughs> Can't help it. Yes, you know, anyhow. when you observe this stuff, you, you get opinions. <laughs> you, you really do. Uh but it, on that note, I go, he's going to want to. And he's going to have heard things that he's like, well, I would have argued this and I would have said that. Now, I'll yeah. tell you, we not, might not like Mr. Pryor, but he is 10 times the criminal attorney that means it. <laughs> he really is. Yeah. He actually knows how to do it. 
<laughs> means on the other hand does not know how to do it. So I guess for the, uh, this isn't even nice to say about this case, but for the entertainment value, I kind of hope they do. But honestly, for what it put the families through this week, I really hope they don't. I know. I, I, they I don't do this again, you know? No, and it's the same evidence. I mean, yeah. it's going to be the same people, you know, mm-hmm. testifying. It'll be the same thing. But yeah, whatever. I guess we'll just, we'll have yep. to see. Yep, we'll find out. So I would imagine, you know, we know within a couple of days. If they're going to do that, we'll probably, I would imagine we know by Thursday or Friday. So I would think. Anyway, that's basically what's happening. We have one question in the chat I wanted to address really quickly. Sure. The question is, what do you guys think about Alex's death? It couldn't have been a coincidence. I'm going to say just this to you because we've talked about it before. Mm -hmm. um, But I'm just going to say this. Look Mm -hmm. at Joe Ryan's death. Look Mm -hmm. at Tammy Daybell's death. Look at Alex Cox's death. Mm -hmm. I believe, I think Katie does as well, that they all died of the same thing. Absolutely. If you go back and look at their autopsies, They died of the same thing. They died suddenly of some strange heart related. Mm -hmm. No one knows why situation. I honestly, my personal opinion, all three of them were murdered and murdered in the same manner. Absolutely. That's coming. I mean, this case is going to last for years. We know. And that's why earlier tonight I said, I don't know that this will ever make it to trial. The reason I don't know that this will ever make it to trial is because what I really still believe is happening is that murder charges are coming. Mm-hmm. And when they do come, these will be a tool, right? They'll they will plead these down to something. Yeah, these That's, other deaths will definitely be leverage. Yeah. So, you know, because the prosecutor's not going to not go to, to trial on those, you know. Well on, no, on and, and now I I mean when you think about justifying murder charges, they've now just justified the conspiracy. Yeah. Okay. And that's a huge part of the murder charges mm-hmm. would be to be able to prove conspiracy to commit these murders between this group of people. Mm-hmm. They've already proven the cons- conspiracy exists to hide the bodies. Yeah. It's not a far leap to say that then of course they conspire to kill them as well. So yeah. I, I think these preliminary hearings are really important for that reason mm-hmm. because yeah. it will make it easier then to make murder charges stick. Absolutely. Yep. So we'll see if these ever see the light of day in, in trial or not. You know, you, you can't never say never when it's, you know, you're looking at the, the Vallow Daybell case because this has gotten weirder and weirder and weirder. And we yeah. haven't heard, a, you know, an inkling of all of the evidence yet. No, still I mean, such so a tiny amount. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it. That's what happened today. And it is done. We weren't yeah. sure if they'd really get through it in two days as long as yesterday took. But they did book through it and they did they get did. done. So either we will have Monday and Tuesday with Lori next week or they will opt out of having, you know, a, a, the uh, preliminary. The other reason I think that could happen is because she is rapidly running out of money. And so in order to pay that attorney to come here and all of the uh, finances that it entails, that's going to cost a bunch. And yeah. if they really don't think they can win it, why do it? Yep. But again, means. You don't know. You don't know. He's definitely a wild card. But we Mm -hmm. will be back tomorrow night. It won't be a live stream, but we will put it up to go through the Melanie Gibb phone call that she recorded on um, Chad and Lori, because we want to break that down for you and explain Mm -hmm. a lot of what it was, because it was a lot of Mormon doctrine. And if you are not familiar, it probably Mm -hmm. doesn't make sense. Yep. And of course, uh, if you haven't watched the rest of our coverage of this case, I think this is around our 15th or 16th uh, you know, episode on it. Yeah, something on like this that. case. Yeah. Go back and watch them. It's very interesting. A lot of what we already, we know we knew then, you know, so yep. it's yep. worth your time. But, and as always, you know, if you guys, uh, if you're new here, subscribe and like, and follow us. We yeah, do all that great stuff. Some fun stuff. Interesting. Stuff. I don't know if it's fun. It is fun, but interesting stuff. You know, this mm-hmm. case is a little different from our regular format that we do, of course, at least once a week put out a, another case, you know, that isn't this mm-hmm. one, believe it or not, we do do other things <laughs> <laughs> and do a psychic analysis of that case. So yeah, follow us. We'd love that. So yes, we already, are we good to go? I think we're good to go. All right. Thanks so much, you guys, for being here. Take care of yourselves, please. Mm-hmm. Have a good night. You've been watching or listening to True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. Take care. Bye, guys.
If you're enjoying this podcast, don't forget to like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can always like and subscribe there as well. We also love comments and reviews. True Crime Paranormal is hosted by Katie Weaver and Christy Brower and produced by Christy Brower. True Crime Paranormal is a short girl productions podcast.